Well, it wasn't the outcome that we were hoping for. To put it mildly, I mean, that's an understatement, but uh, it's the outcome that that it seemed like uh, we were hurtling towards as the day drew on yesterday. Obviously, the uh, the I think it was 7.08 a.m. deadline uh, for the 96 hours of oxygen on the Titan submersible uh, had come and gone. Um, and at the time, we didn't know it, but uh, it didn't matter because um, at a press conference yesterday, um, Rear Admiral uh, Mauger, um, I lost his name here, but uh, Real Admiral John Mauger, he announced that the uh, Ocean Gate Titan um, debris was found in a debris field about 1,600 feet off the bow of the Titanic, and it actually imploded on the descent. So, you know, this past week, um, we didn't know it yet, but... The vessel was already gone, and the five people were already gone. And uh, we, we knew something was happening uh, because uh, about 1 p.m. when the Coast Guard uh, was doing all of their uh, press conferences and, and, and news updates on the submersible all week, um, the 1 p.m. Uh, press conference had come and gone. Soon after... We got an announcement that there'd be a press conference at 3 p.m., and I think at that point, um, everybody kind of knew what the outcome was. And, and as a matter of fact, OceanGate, the company itself, they released a statement ahead of the press conference saying that the five passengers and the Titan submersible had, quote-unquote, sadly been lost. And, uh, of course, there's been a lot of digging into not only the deep water explanation uh exploration industry but the 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 company ocean gate itself and over the years there's been a lot of red flags raised when it comes to safety um ceo stockton rush has been on record saying that uh you, you know safety at, at, at a certain point is wasteful uh, he said that he has cut corners and he felt that uh, a lot of those rules that he has broken um, ha- has actually made the vessel uh, safer. And uh, that was proven wrong in the most tragic way possible. And, uh, you know, others in the industry have have, have raised those red flags. Um, and obviously, look, it, it's obvious to say that your heart goes out to the five people who lost their lives and their families. But I... You know, I actually feel bad for, for, for the individuals in the Coast Guard. I feel bad for the individuals in the U.S. Navy. I feel bad for the individuals in the Canadian Navy who have spent 24 hours a day from Sunday until yesterday trying to find these people. You could tell that they were emotionally invested in this, and they really, really wanted to bring those people home. Um, Captain James Frederick, he was the guy, uh, the, the, the high-ranking official in the Coast Guard who had been hosting all of the uh, uh, press conferences. And he was standing behind Real Admiral John Mauger at the 3 p.m. press conference. And you could see the emotion on their face. Um, they were very, very affected uh, by the fact that uh, they were not able to find this, this, this craft 
and bring the five people home to safety. And, of course, now we're dealing with the fallout, which is what we do. Um, And and some legitimate questions have been raised. Um, First question, should there be, and, you know, a lot of people saying this is not a, a, this this was not a, a, a tourist expedition, but it was. I, I mean, everyone on the submarine had to be somewhat well-trained. But when it came down to it, it was a bunch of wealthy explorers paying a lot, a large amount of money to OceanGate to go down and uh, take a little tourist trip down to the Titanic. And people are wondering, you, you know, should, should these... Should we should should trips down to the wreckage of the Titanic? Should people be taking these recreationally? And uh, they have a point. I mean, if you're doing it in the interest of science, if you're doing it for the interest of preserving history or bringing closure to the families um, who lost their lives on the Titanic, then you know there's some merit to it. But if you're just going down because you're a you're a Titanic enthusiast. And, uh, you know, it's on your bucket list. It, it seems a little bit frivolous and, frivolous and ghoulish. Now, on, on the uh, Titan, there was um, a Titanic historian. So I think that guy going down there was legit. Um, you had the CEO of Ocean Gate. And, uh, and so you would assume that things would have been safe and things would have been up to code. But when it comes down to it, um, the dangers were well-known before going down there. There were a lot of waivers that had to be signed. And maybe maybe they got a little cavalier because, um, you know, a lot of these, some of these people were on their uh, 30th dive. Uh, I don't know if it was anyone's first dive, but, uh, but a, a lot of people on that ship have taken multiple dives down to the Titanic site. And, and so maybe they got a little cavalier with the safety. Um, the investigation, if there is an investigation, will bear that out. Now, we don't know if uh, the bodies of the five people are going to be recovered. Um, I, I, I would imagine that uh, the United States and Canada are not going to use their, their government resources when it comes to the navy, their navies and Coast Guard to go find the bodies, especially uh, because there's bodies of people who actually died um, on the Titanic itself uh, that have not been recovered since, uh, was it 1914? Um, but Oceangate may try to, um, may try to retrieve um, some, of, uh, some of the wreckage from their, their craft so that they can go back and, and, and kind of see what happened and, and do better next time. Um, but I, I would think that when it comes to recovering the five people who died down there, um, it would have to probably be uh, privately funded by the families. Um, news came out yesterday after all this that the Navy actually de- detected a large explosion on Sunday in the area of, of, of where the Ocean Gate Titan was. And about the time that it uh, lost communication with the surface. And I don't think they knew at the time, and I don't think they even knew as they were searching for this vessel that that explosion was, in fact, the Ocean Gate Titan. And I think they did have to go look because if they can't confirm 
if they couldn't confirm that it was the Ocean Gate Titan, and by some miracle of God, they were uh, they were still down there, and they were uh, they they could have been rescued. If nobody investigated that, that would have been uh, a PR nightmare. And I don't know if it brings the families any comfort that uh, this 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 vessel it imploded on the descent. It happened quick. They were not, in fact, down on the ocean floor, slowly running out of oxygen. I think that sounds like a terrible way to die. Um, To be honest, there's no good way to die. But at least they didn't suffer. So I know that uh, if, if that was my loved one down there, I might take some solace in that. We'll be right back. It's First Thing with Mike Parsons. Farmington Hills based tech company Bosch is installing 42 artificial intelligence-powered traffic cameras on Woodward between downtown and 10 Mile Road as part of a a smart connected corridor. Thomas Lang, Director of Intelligent Traffic Solutions for Bosch, talks with Guy Gordon and Lloyd Jackson. We've done our best as we talk about artificial intelligence to give you a balanced picture that, I mean, this is a, a, a tool which can be so powerful for many benefits... But there are also scary things about it as well. One of the benefits that we want to discuss is that it could keep us safer on the road as traffic cameras, excuse me, leveraging the power of AI can do a better job of identifying dangerous situations and then warn us about them. Forty cameras are going to be installed along Woodward Avenue Um, This is part of the Intelligent Traffic Solutions Division at Bosch, which makes these cameras. And Thomas Lang is the director of that company's unit and joins us live. Mr. Lang, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. So when we're talking about AI, how does it make these traffic cameras smarter? So those uh, traffic cameras basically already learned uh, what, a, what, what a pedestrian looks like, what a car looks like, what a bus looks like. So once they see them, they identify them as such and um, can send that information into partner technology then um, thus um, create solutions to solve a problem. Um, and, and also, I'm sure this was Lloyd Jackson, um, Professor, um, coming from the city of Detroit and a lot of pushback that they're getting on cameras and uh, the green light cameras and and people talking about uh, intrusion and facial recognition. Will these cameras have anything to do with with that? No, these cameras will not detect faces or have facial recognition on them. Uh, They will also not read license plates. They're they're solely uh, deployed to detect cars and, and traffic uh, situations that could potentially be hazardous. But they also provide anonymously uh, data around the usage of our roadways, and in this case, uh, Woodward. So uh, we will learn actually how the traffic behaves and can draw conclusions from it and uh, manage the traffic more efficiently. You can also, I understand, detect pedestrians, tell the difference between a pedestrian and, say, an animal, bicyclists, and, and other vehicles. Give us a scenario and how, if we're in our cars, it will give us information that can make us safer. Just give me a scenario of of what those cameras might recognize as a dangerous situation. Um, So if if 
um, a pedestrian is a, using the crosswalk and um, the camera uh, knows the tri- signal timing of, of that traffic light. Um, so the, the traffic light for the cars would be about to turn green so that they can uh, uh, go on their way, but there's still a pedestrian in the crosswalk. We can detect that situation and hold the red light for the cars a little longer so that that, that pedestrian can safe, uh, safely cross the street and get to the other side. I know you, there's, a, there's a lighting system that perhaps you can use at intersections to warn us of things like that. Um, how much more information will the roads be throwing at us as a result of, of the data that they're getting from these cameras? Um, so most of the data w- will not be thrown at the at the uh, traffic users as such. So it, it actually enriches the information in the traffic management centers. So for operators and planners, it will have more insight so they can take informed decisions. For the p- traffic participants on Woodward, uh, it will potentially um, trigger infrastructure measures such as flashing beacons or dynamic uh, boards so that uh, you're more informed about traffic situations. Or if you have one of the newer cars and uh, a so-called connected vehicle, uh, we can also send information into your vehicle and uh, a warning, for example, in a situation that I described earlier, could come up at your dashboard. So with autonomous vehicles, uh, will these... Would this information be able to be fed right into these autonomous vehicles to to help them? Yes, it will. Um, it, it's going to be a long way um, still um, to to really be able for infrastructure to take decisions on behalf of autonomous vehicles, uh, but it will inform them about the situations around them and uh, potentially also cover their blind spots as of today. Uh, so it will make those autonomous vehicles more safe in their operations. And, and Director, will police departments along Woodward Avenue have access uh, to these uh, cameras and could, could they get police to an accident, you know, faster? Yes. So there's there's two ways how we can help first responders and the police. Um, one is exactly as you described it. Uh, we, we can give access to the cameras and they can see firsthand what the situation is and, and uh, respond appropriately. We will also, uh, our cameras will detect first response vehicles and give signal priority to those vehicles so they can get to those situations faster. Brave new world. And I mean, this is how AI can be leveraged to really deliver a tangible benefit to people on our roadways. And we appreciate, I'm I'm sure, the research and development that was years in the making at Bosch to to deliver these uh, technological wonders to us. Thomas Langley, thank you for your time and, and for the investment. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And uh, this is only the start. There's uh, way more to come. Looking forward to it and uh, really looking forward to helping the people in Detroit. Yeah, and and it will help people. Thank you so much. You know, it's funny uh, that uh, Mr. Lang says that this is only the start because uh, I just came across this story in the Detroit News. And the uh, legislature yesterday was very busy. Um, Going to be talking about the... Uh, child uh marriage ban with guy and lloyd uh coming up during the crosstalk but they also approved uh the house this this is i'm talking about michigan house 
approved legislation yesterday that would allow the state to install traffic cameras and other technology in construction zones to automatically ticket motorists going over uh, 10 miles an hour over the speed limit. And uh, it would uh, it, it would track your speed. It would take a picture of your car and your license plate, and then it would mail you the ticket. Now, these would only be installed on state roads uh, because that's the only uh, roads that the state has jurisdiction over. Where workers are present and there are no barriers uh, between the road and the construction workers. Uh, first infraction would result in a written warning. The second would be a $150 ticket. And the three and the third, a $300 ticket if uh, the violations, if the three violations occur within a three-year time frame. And uh, I, I understand uh, construction zone safety. And, and, and if there is one place where you need to adhere to the uh, speed limit and all the safety rules of the road, it, it is in construction zones because, um, you know, people don't don't often uh, think about this, but that's a hell of a dangerous job, and it's an important job. But I, I feel like if I were to go to my mailbox, and by the way, most of the time if I get it mail, I just kind of throw it in a pile because it's just bills or, or, you know, someone trying to sell me something anyway. But I, I feel like it would be very unnerving to go to your mailbox and there's a, a written warning or a ticket. So hopefully um, with this written warning, they kind of tell you where you were, what happened, what you did wrong. Uh, so you're not guessing and maybe you can correct the behavior. We'll be right back. So Congressman John James from Macomb County wrote an op-ed in the Detroit News last week about what he he perceives as a rush towards transitioning to electronic vehicles. Him and Tom Jordan discuss it. On all talk. So you maintain that this rush to electrification is just bad business, actually. It's bad for the economy and it's bad for the labor force. Why? It's bad for a lot of reasons. Look, uh, EVs can be a very promising component, a component of our larger energy strategy. But rushing this transition like we're seeing, uh, forcing auto companies to lay off hundreds of Michigan workers rather than train them, uh, all while, while facilitating the move of our jobs, not just to Mexico and China, but to other states. Uh, this this is going to end up uh, increasing the expense of vehicles. And uh, this, frankly, uh, for people who care about the environment, or so they say, uh, is absolutely heading in the wrong direction. There, there are so many problems that, we're, that we don't have solutions yet. And I'm just saying, slow down. Yeah. You know, I, I lived for a time, and it, it does seem almost like they're in a panic uh, because we've got to do this a, a certain way. But I did live for in a community for quite some time where they relied heavily on hydrogen fuel cells for their public transportation. And it was really quite remarkable. This was 20-some-odd years ago. And I don't see us really pushing that direction or maybe even more diversifying our energy. Uh, so, so is that something you'd support rather than just straight electric? This, this needs to be an all-of-the-above energy strategy that unleashes American innovation and puts every option on the table, give choices. But right now, I feel like the federal government is, is kind of like a, a comply or die mode. I mean, that's, that's actually probably one of the big reasons the UAW hasn't endorsed Joe Biden for his reelection bid. There, there, there's still big questions around if this is going to work for everyday America, Americans. I mean, and, and for people who say they care about the environment, let's talk about this. Let's talk about the environment. The mining for these critical minerals wreaks havoc mm. on the environment. 
Uh, it uses child slave labor conditions in, in the Congo. The supply chain is controlled by the CCP. And everybody who's like, climate change, climate change, yeah, I, I get it. I, I like clean air and clean water for my kids too. But this is only as green as the carbon-based global supply chain used to manufacture EVs, the fossil fuels used to charge EVs, and the lack of recycling facilities available to dispose of these batteries once they've been extended. These are more expensive, and the infrastructure, when you consider the brownouts in California, or the fact that we didn't even have power to heat our homes in the wintertime in Michigan, uh, we don't have the infrastructure to handle it yet. So I feel like these out-of-touch elites don't understand how we're living in the real world, and we need somebody here in Washington fighting for everybody and every Ameri- everyday Americans uh, back home in Michigan. You know, Energy Secretary, former Michigan Governor Jennifer Granholm, she was in Michigan uh, this past weekend, and she touched on this very issue. And she mentioned the the critical minerals like lithium and cobalt and nickel, all those things that you just kind of mentioned. And she, she said, listen, this is an opportunity for us to own the entirety of the supply chain and the entirety of the electric vehicle industry and everything involved with it. And if we do this, we can create $1 million, uh, 1 million new jobs every single year over the next decade. I look at it and I say, well, that's a problem because we don't even come close to <laughs> owning this industry here in the United States. What, what do you make of some of her statements she had at the uh, Townsend Hotel in Birmingham over the past weekend? That's right. Um, so um, this is the thing. Based upon what? Um, our education is placing last, and, and she was at one point in charge of education in the state of Michigan. Um, she is really not surprising that, uh, that uh, Jennifer Granholm made these comments. I know how she feels about her state, which is why she left for California immediately after cratering our state um, as governor. Um, I, I, I can't allow her or anybody else uh, to, to leave Michigan auto workers jobless. Uh, there, there, is, there is no path. Uh, if we move too quickly, and what's going to end up happening is we are going to retain our dependence on China under these liberal uh, policies um, that is going to continue to force jobs out of Michigan and make us more dependent on China. They are even pushing uh, the strategy uh, that is forcing American companies to partner with, uh, with companies like Goshen, uh, entities of concern, which uh, one of my bills – uh, no American tax dollars to the CCP Act would prohibit uh, companies or, or, or countries that would hurt us, like Iran or China or, or North Korea, um, from taking American tax dollars and, and, and uh, holding our companies, our, our biggest employers, hostage. Uh, folks may not know this, but the 10th Congressional District, my district, is, is, uh, is the number one manufacturing district in the country, and 20% of all of our jobs are manufacturing jobs in the state of Michigan. GM accounts for 10%. 10% of Michigan's GDP for every one General Motors job, that's seven, seven other jobs that, that support that. And Jennifer Granholm's and, and Joe Biden's wrongheaded policies don't understand how critical these jobs are in the state of Michigan. Well, I'm not going to give up simply because it's the most popular thing. I'm going to do the right thing here in Washington. Make sure that we have an all-of-the-above energy strategy that gives you choice and power at an affordable at an affordable level that is both environmentally and economically sound. Yeah, that sounds good. And I think uh, I think a lot of people, including it seems, people within the auto industry themselves seem to agree more with that approach, even though publicly it's, it's stated otherwise. And it seems to be maybe government mandated and positioning, their public positioning on this. I want to ask you about this because this was big news yesterday. The, you've been working on uh, this Selfridge legislation for quite some time. You and 
Uh, members of Congress and the U.S. Senate on the other side of the aisle, you've been cooperating with to bring this to fruition. What happened yesterday? The very first thing that I did when I got to office was uh, come up with a, a letter um, addressed to the Secretary of the Air Force, uh, uh, essentially um, uh, advocating for, for Selfridge Air National Guard Base and, and all of these efforts that have culminated in that letter. At the very top of the letter were two individuals who I ran against, Debbie Stabenow and Gary Peters, and every member of the congressional delegation uh, minus, uh, well, Rashida. Um, I guess she doesn't care about Selfridge or national defense, but yeah. I digress. Um, this is a, a unified effort. Uh, it's something that we haven't seen uh, with this much fervor and this much unity, and this is exactly what we need, bipartisanship, uh, to make sure that we protect Michigan jobs and we protect uh, our national security, and Selfridge must be a, a part of that equation. The A-10 squadron, the fighter squadron at uh, uh, Macomb Selfridge National Guard Base, uh, is at risk of, of being uh, divested or uh, the Air Force getting rid of it without the replacement. We cannot allow that to happen. And so working with my colleagues here in Washington, uh, I'm making sure that, uh, that we're fighting to maintain the fire squadron so we can protect our region, we can protect our jobs, and we continue to be a part of, uh, of America's national security solution. You know, Michigan has lost um, over the past 30 years. Uh, we've already lost so much. We've lost two fighter squadrons already, and we cannot lose a third. Uh, so I'm on the front lines here, um, just like I was on the front lines in Iraq. And, uh, and I'm continuing to serve my community the way I serve my country. And that was John James uh, talking about his concerns about uh, switching to electronic vehicles too fast. Uh, coming up after the break, we are going to have uh, Lloyd Jackson and uh, Guy Gordon in here to uh, do a little crossover. Nick Roddy joins us. And, uh, Nick, I did not think that there would be a whole lot of interesting storylines coming out of uh, – the NBA draft last night, but but there was uh, we got one of the coveted uh, Thompson twins. Uh, they went they went back to back, right? Uh, I, I think, and you may have to help me with the name. Is it Amon Thompson or Amon Thompson? I think I'm pretty sure it's Amon. Yep. You're pretty sure it's what? I'm pretty sure it's Amon. Amon, okay. Yeah. Uh, he went number four to the Rockets, and uh, we got is it Answer Thompson? Asar. Asar. I can't read my own handwriting. <laughs> do you think that there's going to be a, do you think like there's going to be a little bit of bragging at the Thanksgiving table? Like, uh, hey, first in the draft, first, uh, you know, yeah, first, first with, in line for food yeah, or something? Yeah, first with the turkey leg. Yeah, uh, well, Asar, the Pistons pick, was MVP of the team last year. So maybe they each have one up on the other. Yeah. So uh, Amon was drafted first. Asar was the MVP last year of, of the team, so. Yeah, and, and if Asar wins a, a, a ship before Amon, then he gets the bragging rights back. And uh, Amani Bates, I'm surprised to see that he got drafted. He had kind of a tumultuous uh, college career after decommitting to MSU, but uh, looks like he got on a team. Yeah, quite the, the downfall for him and then kind of recovery. I mean, he was the next LeBron James and was the number one pick when he was like a ninth grader. He goes uh, 49th overall to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yeah, so it's, uh, I mean, good for him. He kind of recovered pretty nicely. Yeah, he, he's, he, his storyline kind of reminds me of uh, Greg Odom, who was supposed to be at the time the next Michael Jordan, and he kind of um, had some difficulties before getting to the league. So hopefully uh, this is a, a new start for Amani Bates. Uh, got Guy Gordon, got Lloyd Jackson coming up. It's first thing with Mike Parsons. Guy Gordon with Lloyd Jackson. Just ahead of uh, JR Mornings here.
And, uh, you know, guys, it's, it's been a heavy week of news. So I think I'm going to start this segment with probably uh, one of the stupidest headlines I've seen in a very long time. Uh, I, I guess Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg have uh, agreed uh, to meet each other in a cage match. Oh, my God. I guess uh, Elon got into a back and forth with someone on Twitter uh, who made reference to Mark Zuckerberg's jujitsu prowess. Musk responded. Uh, saying that he's up for a cage match if Zuck is. Mark Zuckerberg, he responded on his own social media platform, Instagram, owned by Meta, uh, saying, time and place, bro. And uh, <laughs> and, and I guess Mark Zuckerberg won a couple of uh, jiu-jitsu um, uh, uh, tournaments recently. Yeah, he did. And, you know... Elon's the bigger guy, though. He is. The odds... The odds right now, I guess there's odds. I haven't checked my fan duel, but, but I saw it, be, it on the news. Will it be Elon or AI? Yeah, right. Exactly. Oh. Well, here's the question. A virtual cage there match. You go. Here, the, the question is, for, for years, is Zuckerberg human or is he AI? Is he an early prototype? Okay, uh, I, I want to be the ring announcer for that. Oh, man. Can you imagine? I'm, I'm going to call it out for what it is. Welcome to the Real Housewives of Silicon Valley. <laughs> well, that's my question. Is there a way they could both lose? Oh, uh, I, I, and, but they the, lose face every day. Have you seen their their platforms that they don't police? Yes. Yeah, but we're still on them. Yeah. Um, nice. Guys, but, go back. Clean up your own messes. Well, don't, don't fight each other. And there's got to work. I mean, there's there's got to be some kind of charitable uh, aspect to this if it happens. Otherwise, it's just two billionaires making idiots exactly. of themselves. No, it needs to be some type of, uh, you know, means to an end. Yeah. You know, and not just bragging rights. And, and Like so, a billion for charity? A, yes. Yes. Yeah. And they can afford that. That's not... That's, you're both... You're both they care for, that for the most pocket. part, California guys. I think Elon <laughs> spends a lot of time in Texas. Both have a homeless problem. Yeah. Hello. Uh, you know, why don't you build some affordable housing for folks? There you go. And the loser should still get um, his charity donated to you. Can't say, sorry, uh, children, we can't feed you. <laughs> I lost because your billionaire lost. But thumbs the brakes. Is how out of the mainstream would their charities be? Yeah, that's yeah, right. Like, uh, like I could see like Elon Musk doing something to like benefit the the Romulan species on Mars or something. Or those that suffer from Game Boy thumb. You right. know, no. something yeah. like that. Well, yeah. Well, it, I mean, speaking of Elon Musk, I guess on, on Twitter, he banned the term uh, side-gendered or cisgender. I'm still not sure uh, how, how you say it, but it means you identify, you know, with the, with the sex you were born into. I mean, that doesn't sound like uh, the free speech champion that Elon Musk is promoting himself to be. No. Well, you know, <clears throat> Elon does what he wants to. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, all for thee, not for me. Right. You know? Yeah. So, Guy, you actually you actually came up with a pretty good question when I was telling you about this story a few seconds ago. Yeah. Uh, so if not Elon and, and Mark Zuckerberg, who would you like to see in a cage match? Hmm. I mean, two people that are basically not terribly likable, just duking it out. 
And I have to think about that. It's, it's a lot. Yeah, yeah. We <laughs> yeah. kind of put you on the spot there. Yeah, so, it's a um, lot. so I we may see something between Lauren Bobert and Marjorie oh, Taylor Greene. Uh, that's that's one okay, right there. Because uh, apparently MTG called Bobert a, a little B uh-huh. uh, on the House floor. Yes, and there was no hair pulling. But there could have been. Yeah. Well, that's another um, one where I, I would hope uh, they would both lose. Uh, kind of a, along those lines, guy, I was thinking of a uh, uh, back when I used to watch pro wrestling. Lloyd knows this. Oh, He's yeah. a big uh, wrestling, a wrestling fan. fan too. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, when wrestlers form together, uh, these alliances, they'd be called stables. So I would love to see a stable match between the squad and the Freedom Caucus. Oh, yes. That would be Huge. And I, I think the squad would win, to be honest. I feel like they're a little scrappier. Uh, Rashida Tlaib is, I mean, we've known Rashida for years. Mm-hmm. She's pretty badass. Yes. Yes. But she's also wickedly funny. I, you know, I don't know how well you've gotten to know her, but she has a. a oh, she has a great sense of humor. She has an incredible sense of humor. Yeah. Uh, and you don't often get to see it because she's usually on high octane. Uh, but. <laughs> Well, see, uh, I, I also think the squad will win because, you know, to your point, Guy, um, I could see Marjorie Taylor Greene or Lo- Lauren Boebert um, in the middle of a match turning on each other and maybe hitting someone with a steel chair. Yeah, I'm betting on the House Freedom Caucus on that yeah. one uh, because That's a good Chip, Chip Roy, I- I'm sure, has been in a few uh, roadhouse brawls in Texas. Uh, <laughs> a couple of bar brawls. Yeah, I, I'm sure he has, and, and yeah. Those guys, uh, th- there are no shrinking violets in, in, in those groups. No, there there isn't. So, yeah, that's uh, a, a little uh, levity to, uh, to to start our, our Friday here. Uh, we have a jam-packed show coming up. Uh, real quick, I uh, wanted to uh, touch on the uh, – we, 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 we've been talking about the uh, uh, child marriage ban proposal. Uh, that passed – Five people voted against it. Who's going to vote against a ban on child marriage? Yeah. So there is an explanation for that, and we, we, we don't really have time to get into it in the last 45 seconds here, but uh, there, there was, and one of them was Senator Jim Ruinstead, who's a guy that we like, and he's been on my show many times. They tried to tie another issue together yeah. oh, okay. with this. And okay. that was disappointing. He did some great work earlier this year with CPS Transparency, I, I mean, you know, they, they like to talk about uh, keeping children safe when passing their legislation. And then when they actually are, are able to, <laughs> to keep do, kids safe, they, they, they throw it all away because they don't get exactly what they want. Well, they wanted a trans, you know, they wanted know, protection they, against gender transitions. And, and th- th- but let's quit throwing the apples in with the oranges. That's right. Let's just get the apples done and then let's handle the oranges. oranges. And at least make some progress. J.R. Morning's next.